This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com.
Take a journey of adventure and discovery for the enigmatic giants of the forests. Read On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. The author himself describes it this way. Having found possible Sasquatch evidence, namely trees driven into the ground upside down, thought to be territory markers, led me to investigate this creature in my native Ohio. Several years and many forays into Bigfoot territory, I have found incredible evidence, which inspired my book, On the Trail of Bigfoot. Bigfoot is alive and has many fantastic abilities. The evidence is out there for all to see, but you need to know what to look for. My book will inspire those who have answered the call to seek this elusive creature, the Bigfoot. The truth is out there. Read On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and IndieBound.org. Coming to you from the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network newsroom, I'm Guy Ticker with the strange news. Reign of worms in China. Was there recently a rain of worms in Beijing? Cars were covered with the slimy invertebrates in the Chinese capital. According to one report, residents were even advised to carry umbrellas, presumably to deflect the critters. Ew. I'm Guy Ticker. The Strange News is brought to you by Night Dreams Talk Radio Network. Do you have a strange story? Contact us at NightDreamsTalkRadio.com. You are listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio Network, the home of Night Dreams Talk Radio, with Gary Anderson, syndicated worldwide. Paranormal Talk Radio, like you remember. Well, good evening, good morning, depending where you're located at. Tonight, you might want to get a log in the fire, you know, get in that easy chair, pour yourself a glass of wine, or maybe that other stuff, and just get back and uh, relax. Our first guest tonight, we're going to be talking about remote viewing. Our second guest is going to be talking about, well, Bigfoot updates, you know, the big, hairy monster and stuff like that. It's going to be a great show. Well, J.C., Yes. How have you been? Been doing good. I uh, hope you're feeling a little bit better. Uh, I know you have some good days and bad days, but yeah, looking forward to the guests tonight. We got some uh, really good topics. What a what a great combination! Oh, we do. And here, uh, right now, people might notice our new well co-producer. We kind of like brought him from another place to fill in for when JC is sick from drinking too much soda. And uh, he works really cheap. He he works for barbecue sauce. I won't go any farther than that. But you know, again, you know, I, I we just it's been a great week. We had two great guests, Captain Paul Watson, which you know, again, people just don't realize how much this planet has changed in the last hundred years. Yeah, we 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 went for the good, but are we maybe going for the bad because we're killing our planet? And we're killing ourselves with diseases and viruses and cancers and all that stuff. I mean, you know, God, I, I don't even know what to wipe with right now after reading about toilet paper. I'll tell you that, JC. Oh, I know. It's so, it's so confusing. And then, you know, when, when I heard that story, I was thinking about the story 
uh, previous, like a couple weeks before, about the lady who recycled it. So now she, you know, dipping in twice and double indemnity. Well, this. yeah, can you b- believe? I, I still can't figure out how she can recycle it. I mean, I don't know how you could, you know, clean it. Because toilet paper, as soon as it hits water, it starts falling apart. But she must have a patent. You know, she maybe could make millions of dollars off recycled. You know, I, I tell you what, what I don't like is, you know, the Internet. I don't like cell phones. I don't like any of that stuff because you know what? Back before cell phones, they were phone books. And if you ever got desperate, do you realize, <laughs> I, besides for the birdcage, those pages would actually help you if you're out somewhere and you needed to go. Uh, yeah. And listen, I, I, I've got a long history of going in the woods, fishing or hunting with long sleeve shirts and coming back with, well, one sleeve missing or shorts, no sleeves, you know. Or no underpants. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, things like that happen. Well, well sparkled today. People woke up and they, yeah. they were wondering what was going on with their bank account. Like, you know, things were being returned. Uh, they couldn't pull money off of their cards. They couldn't get money out of it. Wells Fargo, you know, they seem to have problems quite often. That, But that isn't the main thing. There was two banks today that the government closed up because they were not financially able to meet the obligations which, you know, the government puts on bank, banks. And also, I was looking at an article from our Secretary of the Treasury uh, there's a lot of banks that could fold up, you know, if we go into a recession. It's like a, a deck of cards, you know, stacked up. Yeah, listen, that's a that could be a sign of things to come. I know even in our area, it seems like the last five years, there's bank would come up and then they wouldn't be around, just fold. I mean, I, it's scary because, listen, you know, too, you talked about it. Some of these banks, you, you want a certain amount of money out and they try to talk you out of it. Yeah, well, if you're in China... You might want to buy a, well, guess what? An umbrella. You know, again, what we played here tonight, what uh, Guy Tucker did, that's our news guy. We were two days ahead of the news service. It hit the news today about raining down worms, and we knew about it actually two and a half days ago. Yeah, yeah, that's so bizarre, raining worms. It's like... I, I never heard tell such things. I have heard raining fish, but yeah, you were definitely ahead of the bar on this one. Yeah. Well, you know, there have been raining frogs too, you know, the funnel yep. come down, suck them up and then drop them off. But can you imagine the worms? I mean, the slimy worms. I, I don't know. That, that kind of is disturbing. Yeah, that is freaky. I, when I, when I heard that story, I was like, "Could you imagine all the the bait stores? They kind of like uh, kind of shut down. They can't sell bait with." Could you imagine sky? though turning your wipers on your and your yeah. vehicle when it's all covered with worms? I mean, it'd be like one of those horror movies, wouldn't it? Uh, right. Or imagine being out on you know a motorcycle, which you've had, and you're out riding. Next thing you know, you're getting hit with a downpour of worms. Well, you'd be on. You'd crash because I'm gonna tell you. Worms are slimy. And then add to that factor millions of them. So you go, that's, that's dangerous. Yeah. Well, I guess you, if you're a survivalist, you could just get your bucket out there, you know, like they do, you know, in Florida, you know, the iguanas, you know, they, in, in the wintertime, they like freeze on the telephone, telephone poles and trees and stuff. And people go harvest and eat them. They fall right out of the trees. I mean, that could be dangerous. Some of them trees, you know, they're kind of up there a ways and you got to. You know, what, a 10-pounder, 15-pounder falling 20, 30 foot, and you're underneath of it? That could really uh, 
cause some damage. I don't know if I would ever want to eat lizard, but yeah, people are even marketed on Facebook. Speaking about Facebook, Uh-oh. starting next week, if you want to be verified on Facebook, you're going to pay $4.97 a month. <laughs> There's always something, always uh, a catch. And Messenger is going to go back to Messenger through Facebook only. And that is going to happen here very shortly. They've made that decision that they're going to take Messenger and we re- re- make it back like it was with Facebook back a couple years ago. Yeah, I tell you, there's, it's always something. I, I'm surprised, like you, you'd mentioned before, it's going to come way of the what, 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 what the other one that was around and kind of went under. Um, can't even think what it was called now. Well, it's really scary, though. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you what things are happening anyway we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to have our guest on we're going to talk about remote viewing so stay tuned check out our website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com
at aaronjudkins.com, there is a question. Who are the guardians of Gobekli? Gobekli Tepe, one of the most puzzling archaeological sites of the Stone Age. It is considered the oldest pre-pottery Neolithic site ever discovered. This mysterious site is changing our perception of the Neolithic, a time period just after the Younger Dryas event. Is there a connection to the heavens and the gods? Do its symbols represent the earliest known language? It's the paradigm that's changing the paradigm. Who are these guardians of Gobekli? Get the new book and find out. Guardians of Gobekli at www.aaronjudkins.com Hi, this is Val Von Torn of Metatron Power and Light. You're listening to Gary Anderson and Night Dreams Talk Radio. Well, JC, what can you tell the listeners about our first guest? Well, our first guest is Stefan Schwartz. Now, he is a scientist, futurist, and award-winning author. Now, Stefan is also part of a small group that founded modern-day remote viewing research. Well, welcome to the show, Stefan. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Well, you've been staying out of trouble? Uh, yes, I do. Well, that is good. Well, I got to, you know, you've been on the show before and we talked about remote viewing, but we got a lot of new listeners on a regular basis. I, I got a lot of questions to ask you about remote viewing. Okay. How did remote viewing originate? Well, remote viewing is, and I should say at the very beginning, it's a terrible term. It has nothing to do with remote and has nothing to do with viewing. But in any case, um, I and a small group of scientists, uh, really literally three or four guys, Russell Targ, Hal Putoff, Ed May, and myself, independently, I started in 68, they started about 72, began developing a pro protocols for what we have come to call remote viewing. But the fact is that remote viewing has been around for thousands of years. The oldest remote viewing that we have a record of is in, found in the 46th chapter of Herodotus's Histories of the World. Herodotus is the father of history, and he's describing an event in the 5th century that... Um, was done in what today we would call an outbound protocol, but it was done exactly as we would do it today. So people have been doing remote viewing, or I would more correctly call it non-local perception. They've been doing it for thousands of years. Interesting. Now, what is also the difference if you have a psychic or a medium and, and they're telling you your future is... Are they doing remote viewing in a form? Well, they're doing, a, if they're accurate, I mean, I, you know, I can't, that's a different issue. But if they are doing it, they are doing a form of non-local perception. The, the, all of this is about opening to the non-local aspect of consciousness. Um, there are many techniques for doing it. It's been around, as I say, for thousands of years. Uh, if you are a medium, 
then you are channeling a, a discarnate that is a person a personality that is not uh, alive um, I don't use words like psychic because they have lots of emotional baggage which is incorrect but um, again this is all part of opening to the non-local aspect of consciousness it is a fundamental part of who you are as a human being you are uh, as Max Planck said in 1931 when he was interviewed by the Observer newspaper and they asked him you know you and Einstein are the most famous scientists in the world what have you learned what he said was what I've learned is that consciousness is causal and fundamental space-time arises from consciousness not consciousness from space-time so you have to start this is a whole different way of looking at the world or looking at reality what you're dealing with is that there is an aspect of consciousness that is not physiologically based you existed prior to being incarnated and you will at least a part of you will continue to exist after you're physically dead and that this eternal self what religion calls the soul will episodically manifest another personality now with remote viewing if you can remote view a subject matter or a person i i mean is with remote viewing can you change and alter anything could you uh, change let's say for example if you're remote viewing a murder, a killer, a serial killer, for example, and you you are picking up his thoughts of a murder, can you communicate back to him? Well, you could certainly get him convicted. We've done that. Um, what you're asking is called non-local perturbation. That is the idea that consciousness can have an effect on physical reality in a measure an objectively measurable way there is no absolute evidence that that would suggest that if you remote viewed a murderer who was about to commit a murder that you could stop him from doing it so no could you um, could you have an effect on his physical well-being yes and, and what way could you have an effect on his physical well-being, Stefan? Well, we know from a whole variety of experiments, going back to, again, into the early 20th, late 19th century, that an individual can focus intention to awareness uh, on, for instance, a, a, a bacteria in a, uh, in a Petri dish, Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And either cause them to prosper or uh, to be diminished. So can you do that on a, on a, uh, a high-order primate like a human being? Um, that's where the idea of curses and the evil eye and all that got started. Again, it's been around for thousands of years. Uh, could you have a measurable effect on the well-being of that person? Um, there is some evidence to suggest that you might be able to. Not everybody could do it, but you might be able to. But we don't have a lot of strong evidence that um, uh, a person holding intention to awareness can influence in the way you're describing uh, the well-being of another person. They may be able to do it, but we don't know. What we do know uh, is that when a, when a, a group of people collectively hold an intention, that that alters the nature of reality. Uh, Roger Nelson, who was at Princeton University, has been doing for, oh, it's more than 20 years now, a project called the Global Consciousness Project. And what he shows is that when large numbers of people hold a focused awareness about something, uh, Princess Diana's death, um, Nelson Mandela's funeral, the... Uh, tsunami in Fukushima, whatever, that um, th that random number generators that are scattered around the world uh, alter their behavior. So the difference is slight, as far as we know, but objectively measurable. Interesting. You know, when you think about something like that, you know, Art Bell one time on his radio show asked his list there was a major storm coming in and he asked his listeners to think about the storm and divert it and it diverted and when yes. it and and that was he did it a couple like three times and then he got scared and you know he was telling me you know that hey gary i'm not going to do it anymore because that if i get the people to divert a storm you know with millions of people you know with their thoughts what happens if it goes somewhere else and does more major damage so he, he well, quit I, that experiment really fast yes uh, uh jeff mishlove wrote a book about a guy who uh claimed that he and with with some evidence that he could do it that he could alter where storms went or hurricanes went and in fact when i was a young man many years ago um he was trying to get a hurricane to come to Norfolk, Virginia and devastate Norfolk. And a woman that I knew and respected got a whole bunch of us together. And we focused and concert concentrated on the storm staying out to sea. And it did. And, uh, and then he focused again. I said he was going to do it again. 
and he tried to get the storm, and the storm moved back toward Norfolk. And again, we got together and we focused on driving it back, and it did. So there's very little of evidence on this, but Jeff Mishlove's book was about a guy who uh, did this with some frequency. And um, there's not a lot of research about this, but we do know once you get the idea that what we call reality is an information architecture and that you can alter it and change its structure uh, by holding conscious intention, what Einstein, he called uh, reality a optical delusion, then you can see that individuals can make a difference and that collective consciousness, when it is focused on something, can have an effect. So you can actually change reality of, of what is going to happen. Yes. Very interesting. Now, you know, Major Ed Dames, which is a very noted person in remote viewing, said that one time he was remote viewing a spy in the KGB, and then he detected that the the agent or the spy he was, you know, remote viewing was remote viewing him. And he said it scared him. Well, I don't know the story. I know, I mean, I've met Ed Dames. Um, I, I don't know, you know, I, I just, I don't know very much about or any of the evidence for what he claims, so I just can't speak to that. But I, I do know I have had people who were remote viewers, and um, in one case, uh, a person said to me, I'm being remote viewed as I am remote viewing the person you're asking me about. And uh, again, I, we couldn't check to absolutely produce objective evidence of that. But, I, you know, it's a story that I've heard a number of times. Well, I, again, with remote viewing, can you explain to the new listeners out there, actually, what is it? What can you do with remote viewing? How do you do it? Do you just sit down on a table or lay in bed and think, or how does it work? Well, remote viewing is the key to the whole business, is the ability to attain and sustain intention-focused awareness. That's why meditators routinely do better than non-meditators. Because they learn how to focus intention awareness. And what that means is that the, all of the stuff that normally goes on in your head, it's hot, it's cold, there's a bad smell, there's a good smell, um, it's too bright, it's too dark, dark. All of that stuff that, that bombards your consciousness as a result of activity in your neuroanatomy retreats into the background and you open to this non-local aspect of yourself. We, I mean, I personally have tested about 23,000 people and I can tell you that it's spread through the population like any other skill. There's a few people that are really, really good at it. There's a few people at the other end of the spectrum who just don't seem to get it or give themselves permission to experience it. And most people fall somewhere in the middle. Basically, it's that you sit quietly. Um, 
I did. Uh, you can go to my personal website, stephanaschwartz.com, and and download a, a meditation for modern minds or any of a number of things that I have put up about exactly how to do remote viewing. It takes a little longer than a podcast to do it, <laughs> to explain it. But basically, you, what you're doing is sitting quietly. You teach yourself how to attain and sustain intention-focused awareness, lots of ways to do it. And you hold a clear intention, <clears throat> a clear intention to acquire information. It's kind of like doing a Google if you, a search, if you will. Now I have used it to locate archaeological sites all over the world. Uh, you can go to my website and see movies of it. I've made movies of these things. We've located. Um, uh, the, the Lighthouse of Pharos, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Cleopatra's Palace, Mark Anthony's Palace, uh, Pompey's Pillar, one of Christopher Columbus's caravels from his fourth voyage, uh, the Brig Leander, all kinds of stuff. And it's basically an information acquisition technique. So people describe for you. There, the problem with it is that you have to train yourself to avoid is what's called analytical overlay, because in our culture, you get a little bit of information and you derive a conclusion about what what that what it is, um, and you have to train yourself not to do that. So, you just report the sense impressions. And you can make a little, you can make a drawing of things. Um, you can get, you know, is it bright? Is it dark? You can get colors. You can get, uh, well, you can get anything, actually. Uh, you can describe what people are thinking. You can describe what they're doing. You can describe where something is that no one in the world knows where it is. And you can locate it and um, and then go out and actually locate it. Again, as I said, I've been doing this with in archaeological expeditions all over the world for 50 years. Uh, you can solve murders with it. Uh, you can describe the murder and who did it and how it was done and the circumstances. And all of that can be objectively verified. Well, Stefan, you know, like with say a murder, for example, uh, you know, like one of the famous murders, okay, or even not a murder, D.B. Uh, Cooper, who, you know, bailed out of the 727 with a lot of money and they never found him. How come nobody's remote viewed where he's at or if he died or anything like that? I have no idea why they haven't done it. <laughs> I haven't done it, uh, but I can't tell you why. But I will tell you, here's a murder. Um, I was speaking at the uh, Army War College, and um, after I to the Delta Force, a special forces group, and as I finished, the major who was my minder came up to me and said, uh, "The district attorney of Lancaster County, that's where the National War College or the Army War College is." Um, he is outside uh, waiting. He wants to talk to you. Uh, 
with, and he's got the colonel of the state police with him. And they couldn't come in because this this uh, briefing, they weren't allowed to come into the room. Anyway, so I went out to talk to this guy. His name was Mick Rank. And uh, I think I think the policeman's name was Tim Johnson. And, and they said to me, uh, we've read about you and, and we've heard about you and and we've got a problem and we wonder if you might help. And I said, well, I don't know. What's the problem? And they said, we have a 14-year-old Amish girl who has disappeared. And Amish kids don't run away. So that, that's not what happened. But we don't know what did happen. And uh, we've been searching for her and the Amish community, which is a big part of Lancaster County. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Is very agitated about this because this child just disappeared. So we wonder if you could tell us what happened. And this, this event had happened some weeks before. And I said, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll let you know. So I went back to uh, Los Angeles to the, my lab at that time. And I got some remote viewers organized and and they the, the key is and this is the same thing intelligence people do or that investigative journalists do. Um, I got a bunch of people together and you ask them the same questions. And then what you're looking for is consensus or odd little observations, what are called low a priori observations, odd things you wouldn't expect anyway. Everybody I interviewed said this child is, was murdered. She's dead. And uh, when I said, well, who murdered her? And they said, it's someone who knew her and who was a teacher, but not a teacher. And it was a young man, not that much older than her. He, he raped her. And when she fought back, uh, he strangled her and killed her and he put her body in the back of his car in the trunk of his car and he was in a panic and he drove around for uh, an hour or two not knowing what to do trying to figure out what was he going to do and he was in a panic and he got hungry this is the low a priori part and he got hungry and he stopped at a white castle which is a uh, hamburger chain mm -hmm. and uh, he went in and he ordered not one but two but three hamburgers 
and and ate these hamburgers while he tried to figure out what to do. And then he went back in his car and he got in and he drove into an a, 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 a they call it um, a hunter. Uh, anyway, I can't think of a proper name for it in Pennsylvania, but they have areas of forest that they set aside for hunters. And they're, they're sort of like a national forest sort of thing. And he went to this forest and he drove down a road and he came to what had been a uh, kind of restaurant bar, but it was out, it, it's not in in business anymore it was abandoned and boarded up and he parked in the behind it so that nobody would see him and he got her body and he took her body out into the forest and they described exactly where and he buried it uh, shallowly in a shallow grave and he put branches and and leaves and things on top of it to hide it and then he drove back and acted like nothing had happened. So, uh, the, you know, I mean, that was the consensus view of the remote viewers in Los Angeles of this event which had occurred in Pennsylvania. So I wrote all this up and did the analysis and, and what I just told you, and I sent it to the district attorney and a couple of days later, he called me up and said, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, we have searched exactly the area that you're describing, and there's nothing there. So thank you very much. But don't call us. We'll call you if we're interested. <laughs> and, you know, sort of nothing. Anyway, so, okay. I said, well, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Anyway, about two weeks later, I get a call from this guy, and he says, I owe you an apology. I said, why? He said, well, uh, it's hunting season, and a hunter, a deer hunter, was out in the woods in the area that you describe, and um, he found the body, and it was in a shallow grave covered over with branches and leaves, exactly as you described, and it was... Uh, as we went back, it, we hadn't seen it the first time. We came across this abandoned restaurant bar thing, and um, and we realized how he had done it. And uh, so everything you told us about where the body was and how it got there turns out to be correct. Thank you very much. And I said, well, that, that's great, but do you know who it is? And he said, well, because you were so accurate on this, we're, um, <laughs> we're reevaluating everybody that could possibly have interacted with this child, and we're going we're gonna to try to figure it out. And so a few weeks later, he called me up again, and he said, we have arrested the guy. He was a kind of caretaker at the school that this young girl went to, and he was a not a teacher exactly, but he taught martial arts to the young girls. And he this this child uh, was one of his students. 
and he apparently got her uh, telling her he was going to teach her something, and he um, uh, uh, raped her, and and as you said, put her body in the back of the car, and drove around, and we're examining that now, uh, and I'll let you know, but we um, we've arrested him. And we're going to examine him, or, you know, interview him. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you know how it comes out. But everything that you told us was correct. He was a teacher, but not a teacher. He knew the girl. He did teach her something. Um, he had been part of the community. I would forgot to mention that. And um, so we're going to interview him. And he called me a little while later, week or so later he called me and he said I had the guy brought in for from the jail for to do the interview and I interviewed him of course he denied everything and I said to him I just remembered that thing you told me about the hamburgers so I said to him look I know you killed this girl you know you killed this girl I get that I am a district attorney for a long time I, this is not my first murder. I understand that part. What I don't understand is how you could murder a 14-year-old girl after you raped her, put her body in the back of your car, drive around with her body in the back of your car, get hungry and stop at a White Castle and order not <laughs> one, not two, but three hamburgers. I just don't understand how you could do that. At which point the lawyer, this is the attorney telling me this, the district attorney, he said, the lawyer said to me, would you mind if I talk to my client? And um, and so I said, this is the district attorney. I said, well, of course. And so I left the room. And I think what happened was they, his attorney said to him, did you do this? Because if if you did this, if you went to a White Castle and you ordered three hamburgers, not one, not two, but three, then they must have a witness <laughs> who saw you. And so you're at a place where you're either going to confess and get life in prison or you're going to the gas chamber. Your call. And the guy confessed. Mick went back into the room and the guy confessed. And as you and I are having this interview, I think he's still in prison. That is so, interesting. What would happen, though, if he would have stayed fir uh, firm and said, I, I, I know nothing about it? I mean, called the bluff of the prosecutor. Uh, oh, I think, they would, have, I, I think they, would have, they would have gotten him. I mean, there, were, there was other information that we gave them. And, and there were just things that uh, they would have put a case together. I, I'm pretty sure about that. I mean, I don't know, but... I'm pretty sure about it. But in any case, that's an example of remote viewing solving a murder. That is really. How about like bodies, you know, that have uh, been out? Have you been able or, or missing kids and, and uh, maybe not murdered, but, you know, kidnapped or, or that? Have you ever done oh, any? Yeah. We've done that. Yeah, we've done that. Now, what is the accuracy rate on uh, remote well, viewing? Yeah, we expect to see. Uh, I rate every concept, uh, it, it, the protocol that I use, I, I don't think anybody else does this, but at least I'm not aware of it anyhow. 
Um, but what I do is transcribe the uh, interviews with the remote viewers, and then I break it down into concepts. So if I said right now, for instance, uh, the man in the blue shirt who is interviewing me, and let's say your shirt was actually uh, gray, um, I would rate man interviewing blue shirt that's four concepts. And I would rate man correct, interview correct, shirt correct, color partially correct but operational, right? So you get hundreds of concepts, and they're each evaluated. Every single one of them gets evaluated on that four-point scale or can't be evaluated. And over dozens of experiments, hundreds of experiments, we expect to see between 35 and 40 percent of the information cannot be evaluated. That is, the captain was thinking of his daughter as his ship was sinking. Well, unless he left a message or something, there's no way, it could be right, could be correct, but there's no way to know it objectively. You can't objectively verify it. So that's a non-evaluatable of the remaining percentage, we expect to see between 75 to 85 percent of the material be correct or partially correct, but operational. That's interesting. You know, again, I'm going to mention Major uh, Ed Dames. You know, for years he was talking about a kill shot uh, from the sun. And uh, it was supposed to happen 25 years ago, and, and yeah. never, never happened. I mean, can yeah. can can you can you remote view the future of like, would say, the sun or uh, solar flares or anything like that? Can you remote view that type of stuff? You can remote view anything. Um, I am currently doing, for instance, I started in 1978, and I'm still doing it. It's now what 40 some years later. Right now, I'm interviewing people um, to look at the year 20. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 60. I started out, I was in government. Um, I was the special assistant for research and analysis to the chief of naval operations in the uh, 70s. And I left government in 76 to just concentrate on consciousness research. And at that time, because I had, I, because of the job that I had held, uh, security clearances I'd held, 
and I was also on the Massachusetts Institute of Technology discussion group on innovation technology in the future. I was part of that. So when I left government, I thought we were going to have a nuclear war. That most people in the geopolitical world thought we were going to have a nuclear war, either by intention or accident. And in fact, were it not for one Soviet colonel in the Soviet military who wouldn't push the button when he was told to do so, we would have had a nuclear war by accident. Uh, they, their radar misfunctioned and they thought there were incoming American missiles and he was told to push the button to send out the Russian missiles and he wouldn't do it because he didn't believe it. He just didn't think the Americans would do it. And, and they got very angry with him. And by the time they were going to arrest him, um, at just that point, they, they realized that the radars weren't working properly. But in any case, so we almost by accident had a nuclear war. And in any case, when I left in 76, I thought we were going to have a nuclear war. And I, at that time, I had a little daughter. And I was very concerned. My God, what's going to happen? And what will her life be like? And so I decided that I would remote view the future get a lot of people to do it. And um, you don't want to get when you do this, you don't want to get too far out into the future. Because if you get too far out, you won't understand what they're saying. For instance, as an example, if I if this were say, 1890, and I, you were the remote viewer, and you told me, well, in 2023, you're going to have something you can carry around in your pocket that will allow you to talk to anybody in the world um, about the size of your wallet. What would I make of that? I mean, how would you even understand that? So you don't want to get too far out. And so knowing that, I decided I would only go out to 2050 because I figured by at 2050, I would still understand what they were saying. And I'll just give you a few things that these people told me. Um, when I, they told uh, one of the first things I asked them was, is there a nuclear war between now and 2050? And they said, no. And I said, oh, well, then the world is safer, right? And they said, oh, no, the world is much more dangerous. And I said, really? Why? And they said, because of terrorism. Now, in 1978, when I was starting this, this project, um, there was no terrorism, really, except for the fight between the Roman Catholic and Protestant Irish in, Nor in Northern Ireland um, that was going on. So the idea that terrorism would make the world unsafe, I mean, it just didn't make any sense. And I took it around to other friends who were part of the geopolitical world and said, do you see terrorism becoming a major threat to world peace? And they said, oh, where did you get that? Anyway, um, and so as I was going along, I said to him, well, talk to me about health care and health. And they said, well, health care is going to be completely different. And they described what today we would call genetic engineering. Uh, which, of course, at the time didn't exist. 
and they said to me, "And we're going to you're going to have a lot of problems with pandemics." And I said, "Pandemics? I'm thinking, you know, Spanish flu, 1918." <laughs> and uh, they said, "I said, well, tell me about that." And they said, "Well, the first one that will really impact us." Uh, is a blood disease that will cross over from primates to humans in Africa, and it'll spread all over the world and kill millions of people. Oh, yeah. And I, so I went to a friend of mine who was the deputy director of, of National Institutes of Health at that time, and I said to him, do you know anything about a blood disease that's going to cross over from primates to humans and that have the power to kill millions of people? And he said to me, Stefan, I don't know what you're smoking, but you should quit. <laughs> and of course, in 1981, AIDS appeared and it went on to kill 35 million people. And then we had SARS and Ebola and, and uh, N5, uh, what, S5, I can't remember what it is now, but, and now we have COVID, which has killed over a million people in the United States alone. Well, I hate to say this. You know, the vaccines that people got, they're starting to find out that's killing yeah. people, too. So, I mean, that is... The what? The vaccines that they gave people for COVID. There's been articles in different medical uh, journals coming out and saying that it is killing a lot of people. Uh, no, that is not true. That is absolutely not correct. You are misinformed. Well, I, I, I do no, read a lot. I know, I know. I'm going to listen. I will send you a dozen articles on this. There is the most amazing amount of misinformation on this subject. Uh, let's not even get into that. Question. I don't I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it. Um, but you can, you know, uh, the, the, remote viewing the future. They described age. They described uh, the end. Of, oh, <laughs> that was one of the things was. I said to him, well, if there's no nuclear war, what's, what's it like in the Soviet Union? And they said, well, it doesn't exist anymore. I said, what do you mean it doesn't exist? It was, you know, the great superpowers, Cold War, bipolar world. They said, well, I don't know, but it just doesn't exist anymore. And of course, in 1991, on Christmas Day, it disappeared. But at the time, I went around and talked to people and said, uh, you know, can you think of any reason that the Soviet Union wouldn't exist? And they said, you know, that's just nuts. Um, they described for me uh, climate change, which I'd never heard of. I didn't learn anything about climate change till 1991. I read a paper in the American Scientist in, uh, uh, I think it was the June issue. First time it was about ice coring and and report on difference in cl and the climate. They, I was interviewing people, and I did this, by the way, I did about 4,000 people all over the world, in Japan, in Germany, in France, in uh, Jamaica, in the Bahamas, uh, it's all over the world, interviewing all kinds of people, scientists, housewives, mechanics, everything you could think of. And to get these people to describe this world. And uh, I, the, the first time it happened, I was interviewing somebody in Los Angeles. I'll go forward in time to 2050. Are you incarnated? 
yes, uh, tell me, uh, where are you? And, and they said, well, I'm in Los Angeles. I said, really? What's Los Angeles like in 2050? And he said, well, a lot of it's underwater. I said, what? What do you mean underwater? He said, well, I, I don't know, but the city is uh, parts of Santa Monica, Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, uh, down the coast, um, up the coast, they're underwater. I said, what? And I went around to a friend who was one of the uh, chief climatologists in the country and said, uh, can you tell me what would cause parts of Los Angeles and the surrounding cities to go underwater? I mean, there must be sea rise or is it that the land sinks or, I mean, can you, do you know anything about this? This is 1978, 79, 80. And he said, no, that's just nonsense. And of course, climate change and now you look at any projection and that's exactly what's going to happen well not just that i don't know if you know who uh, dr richard allen miller is but uh he was a science advisor to richard nixon and uh, he's been on the show numerous times and he said the fault off of oregon is going to cause the basically the west coast from british columbia to california to partly drop into the ocean, drop down. Well, I, I mean, I've heard people say that. Edgar Casey said it back in the 30s and 40s. Um, and it's certainly true that there is a major fault that runs down, starts up in Washington, where I live, and goes down the coast. And so that may be what happens. Um, I don't know that, but... Um, I know that some people think that. And as I said, the first time I ever encountered that was in the Edgar Casey material, his readings. He, in many ways, Casey is the most carefully documented remote viewer in history. Um, well, Steph, but in Stephen, case, climate our, change. Is, go ahead. I was saying our time is up here. And uh, we'll have to get you back on for part two of this and all that. How can they find your book? Which book? You can go to you uh, go to uh, www.stephanaschwartz. That's s t e p h a n a s c h w a r t z dot com. All of my books are there. There's a, uh, both novels and 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 uh, nonfiction books. Uh, the Amish Girl, by the way, is the story that I told you about. The Amish. I wrote it as a novel. Um, because I wanted to develop the characters more than I could legitimately do in a nonfiction book. And um, you can look at Opening to the Infinite, my book, Opening to the Infinite, which will tell you everything science knows about remote viewing. Uh, I publish a daily web publication called SchwartzReport.net, which tracks the trends that are shaping the future. Uh, you can go to YouTube. There's hundreds of interviews. Um, I don't know there's you just do a Google on my name. You'll you know you'll get millions of hits. Okay. Well, Stefan, I have to let you go. And if we ever drop in, 
I'm in my 70s, but I got a boat in my backyard, and I'm in Washington State, so I'll pick you up. How's that? <laughs> okay. Okay, my friend, you have a great weekend, will you? You too. You okay. take care now. You take care. Hi, this is Val Von Torn of Metatron Power and Light. You're listening to Gary Anderson and Night Dreams Talk Radio. Stop the battle within your soul. You know it's all in your head. Being sad doesn't make you smart. It seems your heart just needs a fresh start. Occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Night Dreams brings on the night worldwide. Did you know you can find us on your favorite app? And now you can watch us live on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a thumbs up. And now... Here's Gary. And here I am. And by the way, I read a couple good uh, medical uh, science journals and people that have had long COVID and have had vaccines. Uh, the Johnson uh, Johnson, is it, they're finding people are having heart issues uh, from that. Did you know that, J.C.? 
I had read something uh, along those same lines also, uh, Gary. One thing I didn't have the time to ask him, in NASA report today said there is an, well, an asteroid that oh. it, it 2043 that is going to slam into Earth. Yeah, I think there was another one, too. I don't know if it's going to hit the Earth, but it's going to be close, like 2030. So, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you're going to choose 2030 or 2043. I mean, you know, again, hopefully we can divert these things. Again, if I was a remote viewer, that's some of the stuff I'd be remote viewing, wouldn't you? Well, it's definitely be on the list, a uh, short list of other things. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, anything is life-ending on this planet. And, you know, you, th- you think about it last night. Open my eyes up, you know, like the earth has been rebooted and and, and you'd have to be really naive to think that we haven't been. I mean, look at we talked about last night. You know, we're talking Stone Age. How did they create and move and do all the stuff they were doing? And what we were talking about earlier today uh, on the uh, phone, there's no way they could melt rock. The technology wasn't there. They could crush it and, and make like a, a, a paste out of it. But to actually melt rock and form it, they didn't. If they had that technology, they certainly could have came out with pottery. Oh, yeah. It's definitely technology has been lost. I think, you know, it, I think proof was out there just by some of the things, the monuments of some of the buildings. It's you know, so old. It's like, well, like the pyramids, you know. I think the technology to build those is lost over time. Yeah, but we're talking now Stone Age. Oh, yeah, before, yeah, yes. yeah, that's way before the pyramids. Way before, yeah. yeah and that is alarming, what they were able to do. And it, it tells me that, you know, the Maya civilization, the Incas, all these civilizations that came and, and gone, it has been lost technology. Just think about it. If we yeah. got hit with a major solar flare or the silver, like we were talking about, a super volcano went off. Do you realize we would go back almost to the Stone Age within about a year, year and a half, the people that are lucky or unlucky enough to survive? That, that's Listen, it's so true. It doesn't take but a couple of generations or even less. You're right. We'd be right back to square one, the Stone Age. And, you know, not everybody that survives is going to be a genetic genius that's going to have these great inventions in their head. I so, take the young people. How many of them can actually figure out how to get water? Right. If they start a fire. Yeah, start a fire. They wouldn't be able to. If you were on a des- desert island. You know, there's a lot of ways to get water, but if you don't know how to do it, you're going to die. So, yeah, you can go a long time without food, but three days is about the limit on water. If you don't get, don't have water, and not just a little bit, but, you know, a bit to sustain yourself, you're in trouble because we're a machine that requires a lot of energy and you need a lot of water over time. Did you hear about the guy who was in a coma for eight years? that he came to talk for 18 hours straight and then died. I, I did not hear that. No. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Well, who is our next guest and what is the topic? Well, our next guest is Mike Dupler. Now, Mike started out as a paranormal investigator and along the way his ghost hunting kind of led him to well research and investigate Bigfoot. And over the years, he has come across a lot of different evidence that he has found, and he's also has authored quite a good book. Well, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Are you staying out of trouble? 
I heard what you did last night. Honestly, you got to lay off of that stuff. So anything new and exciting going on with the Bigfoot thing? Um, it's getting the time of the year to start going out. If uh, anyone is interested, I have actually cast three footprint casts and one handprint cast in the month of March. Wow. What type of area did you find those in? Um, I investigated a um, Salt Fork State Park in Ohio. Just down now, the road from our, our producer. What's yes. That? Yeah. How far is that from you, JC? Maybe 25 miles. I mean, I, I've been down there many times. I, go, I still go down there. I was down there just a few months ago. I love it. Whereabouts in the park did you find it? There's two or three, uh, three or four areas that I actually go into. Um, if if he's familiar with the park, I'm I'm sure he is. Do you know where the uh, marina is? Oh yeah, yep. Um, that road that goes to the marina, there's like a a parking area on the right. It's the last parking area before you you go down to the marina. If if you go to the, up into the woods there on the left, that is a pretty active area. Yeah, I've been. There. Have you ever so, been yeah. back in there? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've been over there in Morgan Trail, all over over there. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, else? and down by the Stone House also. Interesting. You know, also, you know, Mike, what's been in the news lately? There's a lot of hoax going on 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 Bigfoot again. I mean, with the on the news, uh, you name it. I mean, uh, pictures appearing everywhere, and and videos. And I tell you, it's been a lot here in the last couple months of people trying to fake it. I don't understand. There's a a lot. I mean, a lot of that on social media. Uh, I belong to like uh, a half dozen or so Bigfoot sites on on Facebook, and you and you key on these sites, and you go in, and there's always pictures of this and that saying this is I, I caught this Bigfoot, you know, here and there and whatever and it's just a blurry picture or an old picture from years ago or that's been recycled. Um it, it is terrible that that there's so much of this out there. Well how about the ones where I swear to God, you know, I'll I'll bring the image in and look at it in Photoshop and here oh this Bigfoot was staring at me through the woods, right? Well, it turned out to be a tree that, you know, snapped in half. I mean, a lot of it. Oh, and, yeah. and these people buy it. I, 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 you know, I, you know, how can I say it? People want proof that these things exist. I mean, you can see one, but, you know, being a witness to one doesn't prove that they exist. It's just your word. Right. So how can the, we, uh, how can we do ones, something? We call how can, how can we do something to prove that these things really exist? Unless you bring in a body, then there's no, there's not going to be an, an official acknowledgement of Bigfoot until they have a body on the slab. Because there is enough 
actual evidence out there to convince anybody that these are real. There, there's enough that it would win a court case. Well, I know but the real. Uh, the tree ones we call we call them stump squatches. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people doing that, and there's it, it really damages. This is like ufology, right? There's people, you know, they see UFOs everywhere. There's people out there that see Bigfoot everywhere, you know, and it astounds me because you know after myself seeing one, you know, and then I hear other people's stories. I kind of like. I can smell when something isn't quite right. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Right. Right. I have actually seen one. I have seen one. And that was in Tennessee. I retired to Tennessee about five years ago. So I've been investigating down here since. But in Salt Fork State Park, um, the book that I wrote is On the Trail of Bigfoot. I actually have pictures that I took of Bigfoot in in that park. Now, when you've seen your... Now, I'm a coward. I'll be honest with you. I mean, when it comes to seeing something in my mind, I never believed it existed. I mean, to this day, I think back about I still get terrified. It, it was the most scariest encounter of anything I've ever dealt with. How did when you saw one, how did you how did you feel? When I saw uh, when I had my encounter, I was walking an old logging road. And I came to a high point on the road, and I saw one step behind a tree to my left, about, oh, about 30 yards or so. And I thought, well, what did I just see? Was that a bear? And nothing came out the other side. I said, no, that wasn't a bear. That was a Bigfoot. So I just kept walking up up the road because there was a a new structure that I wanted to take pictures of. So I walked up to the structure and started taking pictures. And... In the woods to my left, where I saw that Bigfoot walk behind a tree, there was actually two of them in there, and I heard them both scream like a woman from a horror movie or (laughs) something, and I knew there was two of them in there. But I just went about my business because I never perceived it as a threat. Now, what? honestly, you didn't, but how about if they would have came after you? Well, then I would. <laughs> that would have been a different situation. I don't I, know what I, I, I would have I, done. Well, I can tell you what I did. I peed myself. That's what I did. Uh. And I, I, you know, it's embarrassing still to say it, but I tell you, I was scared because you know, a lot of people, you know, depending on who you talk to on Bigfoot, uh, you know, wow, they give off orbs. They're lovable creatures. You know, they're here to save mankind. And they can telecommunicate, and they send orbs down the back of your head. I didn't have that type of encounter. I had one where it chased me and my friend for over two miles till we got back to the car. And I tell you, it was a, not a fun experience. I needed the exercise, 
But mind you, it was not the exercise that I wanted. Wow. Now, I've been, I've actually been growled at on two separate occasions. And the growls that I heard were close by. Um, and like I said, I did not perceive it as a threat. I perceived it as a warning. So I pretty much just turned around and calmly walked away. But nothing chased me. Uh, there was no rock throwing or anything like that. It was more of a, like I said, a warning that I was getting too close and I should back off. And that's exactly what I did. Well, you did the smart the thing. The situation you had. What's that? I said you did the smart thing, actually. But to be chased by one, that would be unimaginable. Oh, it, it, to myself, you know. It, it, still, I still have nightmares about it. Every time I ever have somebody on the show and we talk about Bigfoot, or I, you know, or I was just interviewed by a, a famous person here last week about my encounter. And I tell you that well, that night when I went to bed, I, I relived that whole encounter. It, it's something when you, in your mind you think it could not exist. You know, it only exists on the TV or in the big screen. And when you see it in life, right. it, it, I tell you, and it, again, you know, like you did the smart thing. You turned around. Well, I did the smart thing, too. I ran my butt off. But, I mean, how about the people who maybe weren't smart enough to turn around and kept on walking? Could they be like one of the missing people in the forest? Oh, absolutely. You don't know what kind of situation you're walking into. You don't know what the reaction is going to be because you don't know the situation. Are there young nearby? Were they protecting their young, or were they just protecting their territory? Their territory, you know, that makes a lot of difference as far as the reaction goes. Well, here's another thing: people again, they look at a lot of these people, you know, that are really into Bigfoot. They look at them almost like a human. They think they they would think human thoughts. They're not a human. So, you know, I don't have the slightest idea what a Bigfoot or a bear or a mountain lion is thinking, let alone my dog. Well, I do. She wants a treat, right. she wants a treat all the time. But other than that, I wouldn't know what they're thinking. And they're not knowing what I'm thinking. And they certainly weren't, you know, brought up watching, you know, Laurel and Hardy in movies, you know? Right. So Where was this? This was in uh, Canada, a Canadian Rockies. Wow. And it was okay. a, a, we went up there to take pictures of old uh, silver mines, uh, old, you know, old buildings, cemeteries. And we found an old uh, we were told about this old Japanese internment camp. And it was at the site of the World War Two internment camp where they used to hold Japanese prisoners. Wow. And I don't think many people go to there through there anymore. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Matter of fact. You know, hundreds of miles away from no, you know, any real civilization. Right. You he was it a a single Bigfoot that was after, or were there a group, or do you know? It, it, well, what we saw across from the creek uh, was one. I, we first thought it was a bear, and then it, you know, yeah. it was on a base of a mountain, and so when it screamed, it kind of like echoed, but it did the loudest scream. And then it, it charged us. And like I've told people, and a lot of people, ah, that's not true. But here's the thing. my Again, I'm not an expert on Bigfoot. I can only relate to what I saw. And it makes me wonder now why their arms are longer than they should be. 
this thing ran across the creek. That, that I did see little glimpses because I didn't hang around. Okay, and I, I had a camera, and I didn't even think about taking a picture because I wanted to live. That, that was the only thing in my mind. And I saw it run. Oh, exactly. I saw it run between two legs and four legs, building up speed. Now, I don't know if it then went back to two legs and kept on running. I don't know. But I, the two times I did really pay attention and look, it was running between two legs and four legs, especially going across that creek. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, that's a worse nightmare than, you know, than my Mm ex-mother-in-law. So, you I would say... Oh, go ahead. I would say you probably were in an encroachment situation to where you were encroaching on this or you were invading uh, some type of territory that it didn't want you in. Like, more than likely, there was a, a young one close by or something that it was protecting it was protecting something in my opinion my opinion looking back at it but i would probably in his territory too is they probably don't see many humans so then they just looked at me as a threat to being into their territory that's the only thing i can surmise right so you you managed to get some oh go ahead Oh, I, I was just going to make a comment, but uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Make it. Go ahead. Make your comment. Well, uh, in my opinion, is a, a remote location like that. There, I bet there's a lot of them who's never even seen a human, and you surprised it. Like, what in the world is this? You know, like you would do when you saw Bigfoot. You're, you're thinking, oh, man, what's it, what is this thing? And he's thinking the same thing about you. Yeah, but he also could be thinking, because if you haven't seen humans, you know, they do eat stuff. Uh, they could, hey, there's dinner. Oh, yeah. there, there's dinner right there, too. You know, there's a little chubby guy running. I'm going to go after it. <laughs> Tasty so, morsels. So you just managed to get, what, a handprint and two footprints. How big were the footprints? 18 inch how big would that they were uh probably about seven seven eight foot wow can you can you estimate the weight or anything by the 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 depth of the footprint or anything uh i would guess probably 800 pounds because they were pretty deep one was about four inches deep one of the tracks that I cast. Wow. Now, that that would put a lot of weight on it, too. Now, i got to ask you a question because yeah. it's got my curiosity up. The encounter you had, did you see its head? No. I saw its body. It, had, it was walking pretty much away from me behind the tree. So I did. I didn't see the face or the head. How about the smell? Did you detect the the odor or anything? No, no smell. You know, here's one thing. You know, I was talking about on this the podcast I was on here last week that the head. What I remember, and I, you know, I don't really. Boy, I'd make a bad witness in court. But what I do remember is they this thing I saw had virtually no neck. 
and his head was bigger than it should be for the body. And what I also noticed that it, it the head wasn't fully covered in hair. So around parts of the eyes, for example, above the eyebrows, where we have eyebrows, there, there, there was skin color there. And in, in the face on it, was it kind of apish, kind of like, but kind of prehistoric looking? Now, have you had anybody describe anything like that to you? Well, I actually took pictures of several. Um, my sister and I walked a dry creek bed back at Salt Fork State Park. It was by the stone house back behind it. And I was there were some caves back there. I was going to take my sister, but the terrain started getting rough, so I, I didn't take her back there. But what I did is I stood there and took a bunch of pictures into the woods, just random pictures. And when I looked at them on my computer, there were actually four of them hunkered down in the brush watching us. And I got a pretty good picture of one to where you can actually see um, part of the head. You can see you can actually see the brow ridge, and you can see the arm and shoulder. And those pictures are in my book. Again, why don't you tell the the the, the name of that book? Because you have several books. Uh, I just have the one. It's called "On the Trail of Bigfoot" okay. by Mike Dupler. And you can check that out by going to our website or, you know, all month long, you're going to hear, you know, we're promoting your book, too. So it's interesting. How long did it take you to write that book? It took me probably about nine months. Now, if you were going to... I'm not a writer. (laughs) Are you planning to come with a sequel to that book at all? I'm working on one now. Um, It's Bigfoot Origins. What is your theory of Bigfoot? I, I mean, I'm sure you sat down in front of a campfire numerous times with your buddies and talked about it. Where do you think they came from? What do you think they they are? Uh, they are flesh and blood, for one thing. They are a uh, bipedal primate. And... My particular theory is, okay, they're in North America, they're in Australia, and they're in the United Kingdom. Basically, that's the three main hotspots of Bigfoot populations. So wherever their homeland was, it doesn't exist anymore. So my opinion is, well, you can't walk to Australia. Um, They think that they came over the land bridge but I don't think so, because have you ever seen the Bigfoot structures? I've I've seen a lot of them, and I will say that is probably uh, a lot of them are fake per, uh, produced. But, you know, how do you detect a real one from a, a fake one? Here in Tennessee, I investigate an area that nobody has ever seen a Bigfoot in, but they're in there, and, and nobody goes in there. Um you look for to see if it's natural tree fall. You look to see if it's been placed there by something with hands. You look for root bases, and you look for the locations 
you know, is any has anybody been back here doing that? I was on a bear hunt in Nova Scotia, and the area that I was in was like a secure area. My hunting guide cut a pass back, and he put put a, a bear bait back in there. And this place is secure because they can't have people walking in there leaving scent. So I was up on a tree stand, and I looked down, and there was a tree structure probably 50 yards from my, my tree stand. And it was the exact same type of structure that I found in Ohio how, and in Tennessee. How tall are these on the average? They vary. They vary. Um, average, I would say, probably six foot. See, the, 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 I get a lot of people sending me pictures of these structures. And then I look at them and I go, well, you know, wouldn't, if they're making a structure... To, you know, to protect themselves out of the elements, wouldn't they have put stuff on it to kind of like waterproof them or, or, or whatever? I mean, some of these, you know, structures I've seen, it's like, what's the point of having a structure? And a lot of them, I'll be honest with you, only even a, a, a person like five seven would have a hard time getting into. Well, the structures that I've seen, I have, I have found a nest. Um, do you know what, uh, a nest that's configured like it's it's like a hut was made out of brush and leaves and and uh, trees and and that type of thing. But I found a nest, but a structure is different from a nest. Uh, the nest I found, I could walk straight into this thing. I mean, it was tall enough to where I didn't have to bend over, and I'm close to six foot tall. But structures are just configurations of logs and branches and that type of thing. And a lot of people think that this is a, a way they communicate. Could it be Could it be a marking of their territory also? Um, there's different configurations. Like um, I watched a documentary. It's called Missing Monsters of Alaska. And one of the segments was on Prince of Wales Island. They said the hairy man took blown down trees and stuck them in the ground upside down as a territory marker. And I was in Oregon with my daughter. We went to the Shanghai Tunnels on a ghost hunt, and we rented a cabin in uh, Oregon State Park that was halfway between Portland and the ocean. So one day we decided to go to the ocean and we're driving towards the interstate, and out in this field, I saw these trees stuck in the ground upside down. And that picture is in my book. But theoretically, that is like a territory marker. And on the east, in the east, uh, I have seen trees propped up against another tree upside down. I believe that's the way they do it in the east. Instead of sticking them in the ground, they just prop them up against another tree as a territory marker. Well, you know, we don't a, know for sure. Alaska is the same thing. I've seen pictures in Alaska where some of these trees are very big, you know, and I don't right. think, you know, either they have to have machinery do it or whoever is doing it is strong enough to be able to uproot a tree and, and reverse it. Oh, yeah. Hey, well, Mike, you I, see these, uh, there's no machinery marks on them or no tracks or anything like that. No, you're, you're right. Hey, 
Our time is up. It went by so fast. Uh, again, how can they find your book? And after you're off, I'll run your commercial again. But how can they find your, do you have a website or anything? Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's available through IndieBound, and it's available through Barnes & Noble. Um, you can find my uh, Facebook site. Um, I have a website link on my Facebook, but I think my daughter is redoing my website because I went on the other day and it wasn't active. So probably the best way to go would be through Amazon. Okay. Well, hey, Mike, you have a great weekend, and I want to thank you for coming on. And those, again, uh, you know, are you going to put those pictures up on your Facebook, or have you, of the casting of the hand and the two feet? Uh, I have. I Yeah, I will. I'm, I'll look to it, and I'll, I'll repost them on my Facebook site. Okay, because people are kind of so, curious what they look like. Okay. Okay, Mike, you have a great weekend, and you stay out of trouble, okay? I'll try. Thank you. Okay, you take care. Well, JC, we got a lot of great guests next week, don't we? Uh, We we do. Let me tell you something. Uh, My goodness, Wednesday we are having Dr. Stephen Greer on. Now, he is saying some amazing things on... Well, that's what he does from his what some he weird stuff. Do you know also that it came out today that the Pentagon actually said that they believe that we probably down the road we're going to be visited by an alien mothership. That's in the I news. See. Did you see that? Yeah. yeah, I did. I did. I, I meant to mention that to you earlier, Danny. I just slipped my mind, but yeah, I did see that. And there's also. Uh, I think another senator has come out saying that he thinks that the military is definitely covering up or hiding, holding back. Yeah, but this was a, a official document that leaked yeah. out. So, I mean, it's getting, you know, interesting. Maybe, maybe, you know, all this disclosure stuff didn't turn out the way that everybody wanted to. But maybe it's leaking out now, which is maybe a better way to do it. But I don't want a mother UFO ship, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, over my my planet. Right, and then, you know, and here's the beauty of this. Uh, even Dr. Greer's been saying that some of these ships, they're ours. They're not necessarily alien. That's going to be interesting, too. And who's our other guest next week? Yeah, also, um, well, next Thursday we've got Dr. Simeon Hine coming on. And matter of fact, he's going to be talking about Bigfoot, which uh, you know very well. And then um, next Friday, Glenn Steckman's coming back on, and he's going to be on showing pictures. On the YouTube, if you're on YouTube, you tune in. He's going to be on camera showing pictures of structures, alien structures, on the moon and Mars. That is going to be so interesting. So I'm really excited about that. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do let your friends know. I mean, it's very important that we build up our audience on uh, YouTube. We are doing fantastic fantastic on our you know on iheart and apple and everywhere else but youtube you know we're just you know if we were putting up a thing how to make money we would have a lot more viewers you know that yeah yeah we sure would you better believe it yeah well guess what till on wednesday or actually we, we're going to be on sunday who's our yep. guest on sunday on the sunday show Sunday, we're going to have Dr. Stephen Post come on, and he's going to be talking about, well, dementia and, and, you know, what you can do for your loved ones to help them. Yeah, what's your name again? 
<laughs> Don't worry about it. You'll forget it in a minute. I already forgot. What are we talking about? We're going to talk about dementia. Yeah, and- yeah. Alzheimer's and dementia and all that. So that's going to be a yeah. great show. And again, I want to thank all you guys for listening and making, well, us being on the 100 of the top paranormal conspiracy shows on the Internet. Till uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, I keep thinking, till Sunday at 5 p.m. You forgot to say that, JC. Oh. Sundays, we're on at 5 p.m. Pacific West Coast time. Five. Yes. Okay. Everybody, you take care. Take a journey of adventure and discovery for the enigmatic giants of the forests. Read On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. The author himself describes it this way. Having found possible Sasquatch evidence, namely trees driven into the ground upside down, thought to be territory markers, led me to investigate this creature in my native Ohio. Several years and many forays into Bigfoot territory, I have found incredible evidence, which inspired my book On the Trail of Bigfoot. Bigfoot is alive and has many fantastic abilities. The evidence is out there for all to see, but you need to know what to look for. My book will inspire those who have answered the call to seek this elusive creature, the Bigfoot. The truth is out there. Read On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and IndieBound.org. Coming to you from the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network newsroom, I'm Guy Ticker with the strange news. Reign of worms in China. Was there recently a reign of worms in Beijing? Cars were covered with the slimy invertebrates in the Chinese capital. According to one report, residents were even advised to carry umbrellas, presumably to deflect the critters. Ew. I'm Guy Ticker. The Strange News is brought to you by Night Dreams Talk Radio Network. Do you have a strange story? Contact us at nightdreamstalkradio.com.